You're listening to the Toolstation Western League podcast with Ian Knockholds and Tom Hiscott. Welcome to episode 24 of the Toolstation Western League podcast with me, Ian Knockholds, and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by our social media manager, James Healy. Hello, Jim. How are you? Not too bad, Ian. How are you? Another day in paradise. Here is your um, birthday as well today. Happy oh, birthday. thank you very much. Yes, you let that let that cat out of the bag. I see on on social media. So uh, we, we, I am actually very uh, touched at, uh, at the number of very kind messages I've had today. Many more than I deserve. So I do appreciate I do appreciate that. And I have to make a special mention to um, my wife, who's making an absolute fuss of me um today um and I, I think i think it's perhaps a little bit of a sort of a metaphor for the times that we're in that you know that actually any chance to have a celebration of anything you know is is perhaps something that we should sort of grab with both hands so i my, my my wife and children are making a real uh, fuss of me today as you can imagine the diet's gone out the window um fish and chips for lunch it was pancakes for tea uh well no i think we've got some sort of three course meal which culminates in chocolate mousse with rum um which is uh, uh, a particular favorite of mine but yeah I, I think that i mean we haven't even done any exercise this week so um you know having touted myself around the western league uh on last week's podcast i, I don't think anyone's going to be going anywhere near me after this week i'm yeah, there the the body shape is returning to its previous yeah its previous incarnation anyway now how's your how's your diet going anyway well it's pancake day today so uh Made a few pancakes, so ours has gone out the window a little bit. It's oh, well. not too great over the last couple of days, but we'll get back on it at some point. I'm in good company, at least, anyway. Yeah, right definitely. <laughs> uh, well, this this week's um, episode of the Toolstation Western League podcast is a tale of two kitmen. We hear from Scott Murray, of course, Bristol City legend, uh, about not just his time as a kit man, but also um, uh, also his time, of course, in the Tool Station Western League. And uh, we also hear from the uh, Radstock Town secretary and the manager of their under-18 side, who happens to have a day job as the Milton Keynes, Don's kit man. It's Mr. Ian Lanning, uh, who joined us as well um, on, a, on a very special occasion for him, actually, in his career as, as a kit man. So a tale of two kit men. And of course, we also have James Healy's week on Twitter um, coming up as well. Um, but without any further ado, we'll kick off with our first interview. And uh, I was delighted to uh, speak to Scott Murray, of course, Bristol City fans, um, will uh, will be very familiar um, with Scott. He's a, a, a huge presence at the at the club even today. And um, fortunately, we we have James to thank his excellent connections within uh, within the game and at Bristol City. He managed to um, get Scott to agree to, to appear on the podcast. Um, so I was delighted to speak to him, and I started off by asking him how he's been spending lockdown. Do you know what we've been uh, we've been pretty lucky because. Um... I think we 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 we're working as normal. Obviously, the Bristol City are still playing games, and and um, as I said, apart from right at the start, I, I remember the, the the first game. I we, we were supposed to be playing Blackburn away, um, obviously way back in March, and and um, turned up to go to work on the on the Friday, and um, it was it was weird because it was a, it was a weird atmosphere around the the training ground, and and um, my my van was all loaded, getting ready to to drive to Blackburn, and. And all of a sudden, the, the gaffer Lee Johnson said, nah, we ain't going anywhere. And we, it was one of them things. We probably thought, Do you know what? It's probably going to be one game off yeah. and then um, back into it. And then 
as you said, it's it's nearly a year now, and it's um, it's still uh, it's still carnage. I think um, as I said, we've been lucky because apart from the first few weeks, I think we were off. I can't remember how long off the top of my head, but then as I said, we've been back flat out. And for example, in the summer, usually usually we get three or four weeks off. I think uh, this year I had four days in Croyd. So that's the, the only the only holiday I think uh, that we got, obviously, in, as I said, it was, it was down in Croyd. So I think um, it's been it's been testing times for us. I think we're conscious of um, you know how this sort of affects um, people's mental health. You know, and and you know football fan, you know football for football fans is a really important part of their life. And I, I noticed that quite early on. You know, you've been you've been doing a lot um, on Zoom um, to to reach out to people, which I think is really commendable. Yeah, do you know what? It was weird because the the first I think the first lockdown, I think because the weather was really nice, and I think it was coming into the summer. And as I said, I don't I don't think people actually realised it was going to go on this long. I think so. I think people were probably treating it as a a little mini holiday. People being furloughed, so people are probably sent at home watching TV, thinking, "Oh, happy days! I'm getting eight percent pay." Doing nothing, yeah. You know I mean, it's one of them. I think, I think this lockdown's been, I think, probably the complete opposite. I think, um, you look outside now, it's 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 pitch dark, and as I said, it's a bit depressing the weather, it's very cold. So, I, do you know what? I, I was sat at home and I remember watching um Boris Johnson on the on the telly, as you do. And um, as I said, the first thing that came to my head was, I think, um, actually, do you know what? It'd be nice just to chat to people. So, I, I do you know what? It, it's probably more to help my mental health more than anybody's and as I said I think if you ask any of the kids that have um that we've done zooms with they probably tell you I have a have a better laugh than they do <laughs> um I mean you mentioned the day job um just now I mean I suppose most people when they talk to you want to talk to you about your fantastic playing career for Bristol City but I'm going to take this interview in a slightly different direction because you're you, you are the kit man how yeah. how did that job come about um I mean, it was weird because I was I was playing at Bath City I was, I was I was nearing 47, which any footballer will tell you the body's fallen off by then. I think um, I was still doing a bit of coaching at the club. I was working in the commercial department full time. So I was still, I was working at Bristol City anyway. And um, <clears throat> as I said, I'm driving down to St. George to, 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 to do a, a kids training session. And uh, all of a sudden my phone rings and it comes up Derek McInnes. And I absolutely, yeah, listen. If, you, if a manager phones you, then you know you're in a bit of trouble, usually. <laughs> so I had a little panic. I left it ringing for a little bit. Thought, I thought I better answer it. So he, I've answered the phone. And, and to be fair, he's gone, um, Scotty, listen. The first thing he said, he, he says, I don't want to take the pee out of you. He says, but listen, the, the kit man's leaving at the end of the season. And I think you'd be the, the ideal candidate, I think. He says, um, you're around the club. I think everyone knows you're around the club. You're a breath of fresh air. You, you like a laugh and a joke. And it was just one of them things. And so I said to the gaffer, I goes, listen, um, let me have a little think about it. So I think um, I went and done my session. The next morning, I actually sat down and I think, and I thought, you know what? I'm actually going to be um, 37 in a, in a month or so. So I think, uh, you know what? It's probably the best time to, 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 to get to do this. So I think it was a no brainer in the end. And, I think it's one of them. It's one of these jobs that you could probably do now for, for the next 10, 15 years. So I think um, it's. Don't get me wrong. It's it's long hours. It's hard work. But I think it's um, you know what? It's, it's really enjoyable. And as I said, any of the players trying to um, take um, take the Mickey out of me, then uh, usually they're in a bit of trouble. <laughs> well, what I'm, I I did wonder about the other kit men 
Um, I mean, are there dark arts? I mean, because, of course, we know a lot of football is about kidology and we, you know, like one-upmanship and, you know, we, the, the old sort of archetypal stories of the, you know, the cold water in the away dressing room. But, I mean, you know, do you get up to any fun and games? Are you trying to get a... Uh, try, do you ever get one over on your opposition team um, kit manager? Not, well, I think, uh, I think them days have, have gone. I think, um, for example, we, Swansea, I'm, I'm good mates with the Swansea kit man. When he comes over... I get my bacon egg sandwich, and we have a chat for about half an hour in the dressing room, and there'd be a dressing room in there. It was weird because he'd put up in his Instagram story, somebody'd asked him what's the best um, away trip, and he said, and then he put up on his uh, Instagram or Bristol City because me and Scotty have a bacon sandwich before the game. I'm laughing a joke for half an hour and just a chill. So then, then, then the, the problem was we played Cardiff last weekend, and he'd seen it. So I had to buy him one, so <laughs> I think um, hopefully they don't, the kit men don't get um, wrong ideas and keep asking for bacon sandwiches. So but I think, no, no, I think, do you know what? It's, it's weird because we've actually got a, a, a kit men group chat. Oh, yeah. And we're all the, the, all the kit men are in there. And you know what? We all want to make our lives as easy as possible because it's, do you know what? It's, it, it, is a, it is a stressy kind of job, especially, for example, if you're away from home, so if, if, if you forget anything, then you're in a bit of trouble. So it is a stressy, stressy job at times, I think. But you know what? It's um, we all get on all really well. We all have a laugh and a joke. And as I said, it's um, we're like a little kit men family. It's it's good, it's great fun. Uh, have you ever forgotten anything? Yes. <laughs> so uh, we played Middlesbrough. I think um, I think it's toward the end of last season, <clears throat> and. Um, I just remember sitting in the... So for a start, I couldn't have picked a worse game because Middlesbrough is like nearly Scotland. So I'm sitting, in the, I'm sitting in the hotel, Saturday morning, chilling, having my breakfast, and all of a sudden, it comes over me, I forgot something. I've got this horrible feeling, I knew I'd forgot something. So I thought, oh, God, yeah, go and have a look. So I knew straight away the shin pads. The first thing I thought was shin pads. So I, went, I knew exactly what I packed in my van. <clears throat> so I went to the van, opened the door, the blue box that the shin pads are in, ain't there. Straight away, I, I start shaking, and because you uh, forget something like that, then it's yeah, could be carnage. So I went in, told Jamie McAllister, the assistant manager, I went, Mark, I listen, I forgot something, and his face went white. He's gone, oh, as you can imagine, what have you forgot? And I went, oh, God, I forgot the shin pads, and he's gone, oh, happy days, don't worry about that. So he said, I got sent to JD Sports or whatever they are, the sports shop. I think um, 300 quid later, I've had to buy like 30 pairs of shin pads. So the, and it, the thing is, with, the, with footballers, we even, listen, even when I played, you, you'll always look for an excuse if you get beat, always. So I'm sitting in there, I'm sitting in the stand, like, like, as you, I'm panicking, thinking, God, if we get beat, the, the first person to get a come for is me, 100%. So I'm panicking, and then, so they, the, the, the gaffers like told the lads to keep it quiet. They said, well, then we'll just get on with it. <clears throat> so Jamie Patterson scores the first goal. He takes his shin pad out of his sock and puts it up to his ear like that and points at me straight away. We win 3-1, probably the best performance of the season. And uh, the first question the reporter asked Matt, uh, Jamie Patterson was, what was the celebration? And then being, being part of one of my good mates, he's, uh, yeah, Scott, if we got all the shin pads, so... It was, a, it was a, bit a bit of a stinker, but to be fair, because we'd won, we'd probably played the best all season, the lads have then asked me to put their initials in the new shin pads, and we won them next game. So it worked out all right in the end, but 
it wasn't there. Um, no, it's, it's not a nice feeling for getting something. In the in the game of football, obviously there are some. You know, we 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 we've got the great players and we've got the great managers. And of course, when Marcelo Bielsa came over, it was you know much vaunted about how many people had learned from him. So you know, is there a hierarchy within the Kitman fraternity? Is there a Pep Guardiola or a Bielsa figure? Um, um, who the you know godfather what? of Kitman? Yeah, do you know what? I, I, there's a, there's quite a, there's quite a few. That, do you know what? If there's any. Anything that you're struggling with, or you think, like for example, there's different badges you get to put over different games and stuff like that. Do you know what? We put it in a group chat, and there's not actually one person out of the lot. I think um, there's, there's we're all just there to help each other. I think obviously the, the ones that have been in the jobs a long time, you've got <clears throat> Jacko at West Brom, he's probably been there all his life, I think. And do you know why he's well respected in the, the Kitman game as well? And I think. Um, as I said, Mikey from Cardiff, uh, from oh god, he killed me, Swansea. I think he's he's one of my close mates as well. So I think um, there's not there's not one. I think, um, but you know what? It's 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 great fun seeing them all. It is brilliant. It's like seeing an old teammate. I think um, I, I could I could not meet one of my teammates for ten years, and then all of a sudden I see him tomorrow. It was like we we'd never left each other. Honestly, it's um, we're a pretty close knit group to be fair. Talking to teammates. Um... Again, I know most people, will, given the opportunity to speak to you, would want to talk about your time playing for Bristol City. But this is the the, the Tool Station Western League podcast. Yeah. So, um, how did your uh, your your signing for Shepton Mallet come mm. about? Do you know what? I think it was just one of them things. Joan are out of the blue. I'd um, I'd finished playing for Bath City. And I was working. I think it was the odd midweek game, and I think um, any midweek game I could play in, I was there. And I think it was more. To keep my fitness up as well, and obviously I've known Jonah for years and years. I remember, and he keeps telling me this story. I remember, but if the first weekend I come back to when I signed for Bristol City, I think I was going back to Birmingham because obviously I was still commuting a little bit because all my stuff was with Aston Villa. And I think his dad, um, his dad took me to the the train station. I think um, he didn't. He took me to the train station so I can get the train back to Birmingham. So I think it was probably. Jonah kept keeping it in my ear, going like that's about my dad taking it. So I thought, you know what, to make it even, I think um, I'll, I'll I'll come and play a few games for you. But I think it was it was good because I said Lewis Carey played, I think Alex Russell played, so we then Joe Burnell. So the thing is, Jonah's um, we're all good mates with Jonah, and and as I said, the the, the good part was we all went to to Marbella for a little uh, end of season uh, tour as you do. <laughs> so it was brilliant, brilliant, loved it. Well, am I right in thinking there was one other famous face in that team, Steve Phillips, the goalkeeper? Phillips, yeah, so they said stop, man. Yeah, so I'm, I've, I've got a zoom with him. I think it's next week, next week as well. And as I said, do you know what? It's, it's because you know Jonah is such a lovely bloke, and I think um, he's well respected in the the lower leagues anyway. And, and you know what? I was in Bath City with him as well. He was in Bath City, and as I said, and do you know what? When he asked me, I was like, I was like, oh. and then I thought, do you know what? I actually miss not playing football, and um, even now I still I play Sundays um, for the three lines, and I play Mondays up at Filton, I play th- Thursdays up at Horfield, but obviously not at the moment. But but you know what? I, I, I can't help but not play. So I think um, and as I said to go and play for Shepton, I think um, great fun. I loved it, and uh, as I said, I, I, was, I played I played for Clevedon as well. So it was one of them things. You know no what? Way. It was it was I, I enjoyed every single minute of it. And and even the night games at Shepton, it would take me probably take me about forty five minutes to get there. But I was still getting the buzz. 
a plane in there, even though it was a big slope on the pitch. I was, uh, I was like that. I was, I was praying that we were uphill first half because <laughs> we were, uh, because the second half, if we were playing uphill the second half, the chances are it only last about fifteen minutes in the second half. So I was quite happy when we were playing uphill first half. Now I, I've got to ask you this: Have you got any Steve Phillips stories? Because obviously you've, you've played with him quite a lot in yeah. your career. So I remember. Um, so Stevie Phillips had a. He, he was a big car fan. Loved his cars. And he's, he used to come in with a different car every other week. But he also had a, a private number plate cut it. And it's, I, I don't know if he still got it, but it's spelled out Stopper. So it was something like S1 PP, or like, no, it was S, S1, but so S10 PPA. So like it, it was an S, one and zero looked like a T or PPA Stopper. So like, um, so he got this as a private number plate. So I think one, um, after one training session, we've made a little cardboard cutout and we've put flapper on the front. So because his car was parked up against the wall um, at the old Atio stand at Ashton Gate, he obviously didn't know. The next day he's come in, it's still on there. <laughs> so he'd been driving around, because I'd known Stevie, he was, like, he was like a little boy racer. He'd been driving around Bristol with his arm, his, his window down, but not realising he's got flapper on the front of his number plate. So... But no, he's a, you know what, he's a great guy. And, and as I said, he's, he's a very, very good career as well. And I think when I when I do the kids' chats, I think, um, so usually you'll get, they'll ask who your um, favourite player to play with is. So I, I mean, me personally, I think it's a bit unfair just to pick one person because I, I played with loads of great players, luckily, at uh, Bristol City. So I, what I tend to do is pick two keepers, two defenders, two midfielders and two strikers. So, and as I said, Stevie's one of my... He's, He's one of my my two best keepers I've played with, definitely. Fantastic stuff. Going back to the Western League, do, do, do you still follow the Western League even today? Is that, is, that, is that Cleveland's league? That's right, it is. Yeah, yeah. So my my boy plays for Cleveland, Cleveland Town. So I so anytime we, we, we've got a Friday night game or a Sunday game, I'll go straight to the, the Hand Stadium, obviously, because it's it's only like 10 minutes from... Because I live in Portsmouth, so it's only 10 minutes for me. So I, I, I keep a close eye on them and... As I said, I've been I've been at a few away games as well. So do you know what I actually really enjoy going watching him playing. And he's a lively little striker, so I think he's got about eight or nine goals a season for Cleveland. So he's a bit chirpy, so I don't know where he gets that from either. <laughs> um, I mean, Cleveland actually, in all seriousness, they've been going very well this season, haven't they? Um yeah, got, do you know what? They've got a very good young squad now. I think Mickey Bell, obviously the ex City left back, is is in charge. And do you know what? I actually I, I enjoy going down and watching him. I think um, they're still in. Is it the FA? Is it the FA bars or I don't know. I don't know, but they, I think they've been drawn away to to Plymouth Parkway, who are obviously flying at the top of the league. So I think uh, I think they were looking for a home draw, but it's one of them things, isn't it? But I said to him, I goes, listen, if you want to try and get as far as possible, you're going to have to beat the best teams anyway. So there you go. I mean, you know, to be fair, in the day job and not, you know, notwithstanding your own career. I mean, you you obviously get to see professional football, but you're watching, you know, you're watching your son at Clevedon. I mean, how do you compare the two? I know that sounds like a bit of a yeah. you know, a, a crazy sure. question, but I mean, I mean, like you, I get a lot of enjoyment from watching Western League football, and actually, at the level you're talking about with the Parkways and Clevedon, as I said, having a fantastic season. I, I love it. it. Yeah, I love it. And you, you know what? There's one thing. It doesn't matter what level of football you play; they're all they all want to win. Simple as that. And and you know what? You watch. Um, I'll watch championship games or Premier League teams at telly and I'll go and watch Cleveland in the handstand. And you know what? One thing you're guaranteed, 
They all want to win. They all want to work hard. And it's it's brilliant. I love watching it. And, and as I said, they, luckily down at Hand Stadium, they, they can still get a couple hundred people in watching. So there is still a little atmosphere there. And and it's um no, it, it's it's great fun. And and it's, it's just a shame there's no football on at the moment at that level. And as I said, because you know what, it's it's hard for a lot of, lot of communities. I think uh, like um, Cleveland, they probably rely on the the, the gym at the Hand Stadium and people using all that. So. I think it's it's hard for it's hard at the moment, and I think um, hopefully, hopefully we get we'll get the the leagues up and going back again. It's even my Sunday league games. I can't I can't even keep myself. I think I put about three stone on. I mean, are you getting out and doing some exercise for when you we can? You know what? I, I'm lucky because because I work outside anyway. So obviously, when when we are training, I'm down in the pitches with the with the team down there, and and it's weird because we've got a disinfectant and everything. So, like, when we walk about, I think that's me and uh, Matt Parsons, we're the COVID engineers. So, we, so one, one of us, it's weird, like, and this just sums us up. Me and him, one of us have got to spray and one of us get pick up. So, we actually do rock, paper, scissors because you don't want to pick up all the equipment. It's a nightmare. The spraying one, you wear like a, you know, like a backpack like Ghostbusters have with a gun. So, you walk about with one of them, you're spraying all the port. So, you actually, you want to do the, you want to do the spraying and the disinfectant. So, if you lose the rock, paper, scissors, scissors to pick up, then it's going to be a, it's going to be a hard morning for you. Um, just before you go, I know there are going to be many Bristol City fans who are going to be listening to this. So just 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 for their benefit, I mean, how how are you feeling about Bristol City season? So you know far? What? It's, it's it's tricky because you know what? Me me personally, I'd hate to play in front of no crowd. I'd hate it, and I think um, it must be so hard for the players. I think um, to get up for games. I think when you're playing in front of twenty thousand. Well, I, I found it pretty easy to get up for the games. I think you're playing in front of crowds at 20, probably just the subs and everything. I think it's hard. And also, I think the amount of games, not just us, I think all the teams are playing, you're going to get injuries, simple as that, because the lads are mentally fatigued and physically fatigued. And I think, um, as you say, there's a lot of teams, including ourselves, that are um, struggling with injuries. And, and I, think, um, I think it's just probably because at the moment we're playing three games in a week. And if you've got a squad of 22 and there's a lot of young lads in the squad, then you're going to get injuries, I'm afraid, and that's just the way it is. Scott, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to speak to the Western League podcast. It's, well, it's been lovely to have you on. And, um, you know, I mean, I, this is probably the only interview that you'll ever do where people are more interested in talking about Shepton Mallet than Bristol Perfect. City. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> thank you for having me on, Ian. And my thanks to Scott for his time. Now, now, James, um, before we get into your week on Twitter, of course, you were the uh, uh, you were a part of the press team at um, at Bristol City when I believe Scott was playing. So, do you have any Scott Murray stories for us? Yeah, got got a few, but I think some of them best left off a family <laughs> podcast like this. To be honest with you, um, <laughs> I can remember when I first joined Bristol City. Um, it was when they first went up to the Championship or returned back to the Championship, and their first home game was against QPR. And being a Yeovil fan, I said, I'm working here. I'm not going to cheer any goals. Well, Scotty scored, and I was up on my feet clapping, cheering and going. So he kind of converted me into a Bristol City follower from that moment. But as, as you've heard there, Scotty, he's a, he's a top bloke. He would do anything for anybody. number of requests he must get for shirts and everything. And I mean, whenever I've asked him for stuff, for charity and that he's he's always delivered. He's uh, he's a top bloke. But like so, some of the stories I could tell, I think I'll leave off the family podcast. There. 
<laughs> excellent, excellent. So it is your time for the uh, for the week on Twitter. What have you been? What what have you you've been trawling through social media? What have you got for us? I have. It's been another kind of quiet week, really. Um, Warminster, they've uh, they've smashed through their five hundred pound uh, target for running from Warminster to uh, the Camp Nou in Barcelona. Uh, when they checked over the weekend, they were up to seven hundred and seventy-five miles of their one thousand-mile target. So uh, they were hoping to get to that by the end of February. So it looks like they're going to smash through that as well. So fair play to them on that. Um, yeah, they say they're up to nearly six hundred pound now for the Warman Stuff Food Bank. So great cause, and they uh, say they're close to their thousand thousand miles. So uh, I reckon they'll smash through that and probably uh, get a few more on top. I would have thought. I've uh, got a bit of breaking news for you. Um, on the old uh, Warminster um, to Barcelona run. If you remember when I did an interview with Owen Bartley, um, we, um, we we were talking about the individual distances that uh, the runners were, were running. And um, I, I did make the, uh, I made the offer that if any runner ran the equivalent distance of Weymouth Street to Fratton Park, um, of course, the home of uh, Portsmouth Football Club, then I would, um, I thought as an incentive, I would get the uh, the player a picture of Fratton Park. Now I think upon reflection, we 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 then decided we 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 then decided that perhaps rather than paying for a picture of Fratton Park, uh, it might be a better idea if I actually made the cash equivalent donation to the Warminster Food Bank. Well, I am very pleased to say that somebody has actually run that distance, and uh, her name is Sammy Kirk. She's one of the uh, women's team players, and so um, in recognition of of Sammy running over 62 miles, that's the first of the runners to complete. That distance, um, I will be making a a donation to the Warminster Food Bank. So congratulations, Sammy. Congratulations, Owen, and all of the people at Warminster Town Football Club who are who are doing this excellent initiative to raise money for the local food bank. Yeah, it's quite an achievement. That amount of distance. I think that's further than what my car's gone uh, <laughs> during the lockdown. So fair play. If you're thinking, Tool Station, I know they'll save me money, but do they have all the top brands? You know, DeWalt, Makita, Einhell, Stanley, Myra, Kudox, Nest and Santex. Yeah, they do. Over 15,000 trade quality products in the range from the leading brands with prices that are hard to beat. If you want a helping hand to save on your next job, try Tool Station. With over 300 branches, there's always a Tool Station near you. Anyway, next on my list, we've got Cribs are continuing their uh, On This Day in History, which they've been doing uh, throughout the lockdown. Um, some quite interesting ones. Some days they have nothing, so they put up like a funny gif each time there's nothing happening. But it's worth following that. It's quite interesting to see who they've played in the past on this day and that. So um, it's a good idea, that. Is. I look forward to reading those each day. Um, Corsham uh, released a really good video of goalkeeping saves, the uh, Tweet was the strikers get all the credit, so it'll be quite nice to give goalkeepers some praise. And uh, yeah, good work, guys. I enjoyed watching that as well. As uh, being an old goalkeeper myself, I used to feel the goal more than anything, to be honest with you. But uh, <laughs> it's it's good to see those sort of uh, those sort of videos because goalkeepers don't really get much praise. Uh, a striker scores a goal, and everyone remembers that, but people don't really tend to remember a match-winning save. So, like I say, it's. Uh, it's a nice video that was well put together. It's a decent, decent watch. And then finally, we got uh, it's Sherbourne. Uh, Colin Goodland, who's on the committee down at Sherbourne, and he's also on the the board of the Tool Station Western League, is appealing for history 
uh, photos of old photos of Sherbourne. So anyone that's um, got any history of Sherbourne Town, uh, if you look at Sherbourne's Twitter feed and Collins, um, yeah, he's just looking for old photos from the archives and he's uh, got a lockdown project on. So, yeah, like I say, if anyone's got any info on Sherbourne, then uh, get in touch with them. Well, we, I mean, we are, we've, we've talked about this before on the podcast. We, you know, we have got a crop of excellent club historians. And, of course, one of the things, if you remember, I did a, an interview with John Cuthbertson about the book he's written about the history of Corsham Town. And, of course, what was the, one of the interesting things that, that came out of that is it's not just the home side uh, that you get the interesting stories about. It's also the teams that they've played. So, hopefully, uh, I mean, we, you know, we also know that Gareth Paisley has done a huge amount of research on the history of Welton Rovers. So, hopefully, there'll be a few historians out there who, uh, you know, who will be able to help Colin out because, you know, just through the process of all the work they've done on their own clubs. Yeah, it's, like I say, away clubs often have uh, good stories to tell from their visits to other clubs. So, uh, yeah, it'd be good to, if anyone has got any info, and uh, to get in touch with them. Right then, now we'll move on to the second of our uh, of our interviews on this week's podcast, and it is with Ian Lanning. Now, many people will know Ian for the excellent work he's done over the last few years with Radstock Town's under-18 side, and uh, certainly I've enjoyed some very memorable nights with them in their FA Youth Cup runs. Um, but also, Ian is the secretary at Radstock Town, but that's where his football responsibilities don't finish. Um, because these, there is the day job, and the day job is uh, the kit man at MK Dons. Before Ian was at MK Dons, he had uh, many years at Cardiff City. So many so that actually he has just clocked up his 1,000th game as a kit man, and that's where we pick up the interview. And 1,000 not out, that's quite some achievement. Yes, uh, so... Uh, MK Dons, we uh, it turned into working my 1,000th professional game. Uh, covered over a spell of 16 years at Cardiff City, then four years at MK Dons as well. Uh, and you, you you spent it in quite in 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 some style, didn't you? Yes, uh, obviously, I wanted to commemorate the game in memorial of my uh, a friend Chris Barker who passed away on January 1st, 2020. So it was keeping his memory alive, really, because we haven't been able to celebrate his life that much or uh, raise anything in in his passing. So I thought it was an ideal opportunity to raise some money for Mind, uh, the Bath Mind charity, uh, by just doing it in traditional kit man style uh, of just wearing shorts and T-shirt on the touchline. So you're in shorts and t-shirt in the freezing cold on a Tuesday evening in Rochdale. Yes, it was mine. It was minus uh, five degrees. Uh, snow falling throughout the game as well. I was probably warming up just as much as the players uh, throughout the pre-match warm-up on the pitch. Uh, then obviously getting a couple of minutes before kickoff to go back in and warm up. Uh, I think I spent most of the first half holding a cup of coffee in my hands rather than drinking it, trying to keep warm. Um, well, you mentioned there that you were raising money um, for, for, for the Mind Charity. Um, is, that, um, is that fundraising page still open? Yes, it's uh, on my Just Giving page, uh, which is available on my Twitter and has been on the Vastok uh, Town Twitter page as well. 
Excellent. Well, well, we'll have a reminder of that before we um, before we finish the interview. But I mean, obviously, a thousand games. When you when you first became a kit man sixteen years ago, did you think we'd be here talking about um, your thousandth game? Absolutely not. Uh, I always uh, so while I was at school coaching at, on local community clubs and uh, with Bar City on the community scheme, always wanted that step into the professional game and probably on that side of the game, really more on the coaching. And player development rather than on the team logistics side of things. So what was it that got you um, your first position? Um, pretty much while I was coaching on the community scheme at Bath City, the previous club secretary left to go to uh, start at Cardiff. And then a couple of years later, I had a phone call saying that the position had become vacant. They were holding interviews and I could be an ideal candidate for that job. And the rest is history. The rest is very much history. Uh, walking in with an interview uh, at the time with the manager, Alan Corkin, uh, his coaching staff uh, at the Old Indian Park Stadium. Uh, it was quite surreal, really, being a you know, 20-year-old that uh, had grown up in Bath and obviously seeing uh, some of these players like Alan Corkin, the Sheffield United era and the Wimbledon era with his big bushy beard as well. And, yeah, so it was it was quite surreal, really. But it was it was literally the interview gone back, offered the job, and pretty much not knowing the full ins and outs of the job at the time, what it entailed. It was uh, go home, pack a bag. Uh, we're travelling to Brighton, down to the Withdean for the following day, and you're travelling. So it must have been quite a steep learning curve for you. It was uh, at the time. Uh, the goalkeeping coach, George Wood, and one of the physios uh, helped me through it, uh, showed me the practical uh, practicalities and the operation they had in scheme. And it was it was literally a chance over the years and what progressed. As the club progressed, I probably progressed and developed the role uh, as, as well, how the game changed in a far more professional way as well in the provision of what you were looking to provide players. So a thousand games is quite a, um, a a sort of a back catalogue to look back on, but I can't do an interview like this without asking if there were some memorable games, particularly memorable games within that. There's three or four that do stand out uh, with Cardiff. There was the playoff semi-final in 2003 at Ashton Gate, where we beat, uh, well, the second leg where we drew to get to the final uh I, at the Millennium Stadium against QPR. So winning the playoff final in the Millennium Stadium was a fantastic uh, achievement. Uh, following on from that, we had the, which you'll be delighted for, as you've been a Portsmouth fan, the proud moment, I know we lost the game, but walking out as part of a, a staff uh, with the team for an FA Cup final in 2008. Uh, to our family, friends there, I think we had a bus even a bath that came up with nearly 40 people, uh, family and friends managed to get that many tickets for the game. Uh, and to be part of that was a fantastic achievement. And then following on from that, the Carling Cup final, where we again lost on penalties to Liverpool. So with both of those as championship clubs, mm. as a championship club at the time, was a far more... Uh, Fantastic achievement for the clubs. But one of the biggest had to have been under Malky Mackay, the promotion to the champ uh, to the Premier League from the Championship as champions as well. More recently, the Mansfield game for MK Dons, where we clinched promotion in a win or bus game on the final day of 
of the season that we had to win. Mansfield only needed a draw uh, for promotion. So, and it was obviously the, the very tight game we scored early on. Uh, and it was very, it was probably one of the most nervous games that I've been involved in all those years. I mean, the other thing we need to reflect upon is the fact that, of course, you know, for the overwhelming majority of your matches, fans have been inside the stadium. I know that that sounds like a bit of a silly thing to say, but given the times we're living in, I think the point's worth making because, of course, you've stood inside a Wembley Stadium that's had 80,000 people in it. You've stood inside the Millennium Stadium, some of the great grounds um, that grace the, uh, you know, the, 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 the Football League and the, and the Premier League. And, of course, one of the things that people do enjoy about professional football is that match day atmosphere. It's, um, I'm sure it's one of... It's been one of the um, the contributing factors that's made to the occasions that you've just described. So, what's it been like for you, um, you know, over the last couple of seasons, where we've you've got that contrast between having been in those stadiums with all those people and naturally now, um, you could hear a pin drop. It's quite surreal. Uh, it's it's not an unfamiliar surroundings for players and the staff because we do play in-house games. Uh, you play reserve games at the stadium, so it's not. So I think the passing on information for players on the pitch uh, is probably more valuable. And also one of the things I've noticed is you actually hear the comments being made by the referees. So they can't hide behind signals as well on their decisions. They're having to actually, when they are trying to explain the decisions, everyone is aware of why they're, they're doing that as well. And I think uh, that's one of the biggest factors that you're seeing within the game. Some, some of the bigger grounds you can go to, it's you'll hear moments of fans, but it, a lot of the time it can be a hum, like at the Millennium Stadium, Wembley. It's the hum, it's, it's just background sounds. You, you probably used to hear it more at grounds like Indian Park or even Ashton Gate, which Rovers, uh, where the fans are on top of you. Even going to Millwall, you've got the fans sat right behind the dugout and you hear every word that's being said. And... Uh, well, we were lucky enough at MK this year to have had two games uh, with the limited fans before the restrictions. and It actually gave it more of a Western League feel because you would hear the individual comments that you do hear. Uh, so if somebody does something on the pitch, you get that reaction from an individual that comes out with those certain shouts and the players notice it more or the staff as well. Now, obviously... Um... Every professional club has a kit man, and um, I understand you're a, you're you're quite a, a tight fraternity. Um, but I'm just wondering, is is there like a godfather of of kit men? Is there somebody that you all aspire to to to, to be or to look up to? Uh, obviously, there's there's a few that have been uh, in the game slightly longer than myself. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Kevin McCormack, for example, at your club, Portsmouth, uh, an ex. Uh, from ex-Marine as well and boxed in the Commonwealth Games. <laughs> Obviously, there was the likes of Vic Akers at Arsenal who had been there for such a period of time. Jimmy Martin is probably, uh, Everton is now probably the godfather. He was, I believe, their coach driver in the 70s and 80s. And then as the role took on more relevance, uh, became Kitman. So Jimmy probably, probably, probably yeah, actually is the godfather in terms of Kitman at the moment. Uh, the story, like I've had the pleasure of meeting him several times, and he's one of the most welcoming uh, kitmen managers you'll come across in the, the game as well. But yeah, there's a lots of banter. Some, some obviously at different stages of their careers and operate in different ways of how they uh, the club, the individual club setups. 
Uh, but you, you always try and touch base and speak to your colleagues at other clubs. You also uh, try and have a good rapport with them because there may be moments where, for example, they may forget something or they need to reseal a shirt. So you'll help each other out on a reciprocal basis as well. Now, I'm very glad you, you raised that point because that was a question I wanted to ask you. I understand that in your world, the greatest faux pas you can possibly make is to forget something. <laughs> Have you ever forgotten anything, Ian? Yes. Yeah, there is always moments where a player may forget their boots or the, the boots may not be get packed in or you've done something wrong. So when I set up uh, on a match day, for example, home games, I'll always try and set up the day before a game. Uh, away games... Ideally, you would try and go in the day before and set up in the evening, but I usually try and get early mid-morning, uh, several hours before. But I'll always allow a small allowance of time for, excuse the language, but I'll call it my oh shit moment. Uh, <laughs> so it it just allows you that time for if something goes wrong. Uh, for example, we played extra a couple of years ago. We had a couple of new signings coming in. I started printing up some shirts up. We had David Wheeler uh, we brought in. So we were playing our black kit for the game. Packed the shirts, checked everything off. I'd packed his shirts in. Yep, no problems. Get to the ground. I'm signed taking the, the shirts out of the skip, hanging them up. Uh, at the time, we had gold numbers on the back of our black shirt. However, I'd been printing uh, other colour shirts at the same time. And on Dave Wheeler's shirt, I've printed white numbers. So there was a moment, obviously, the shirt was name and numbered. Uh, at one point, I thought I was going to be having to uh, get a gold Sharpie and colour it in. So <laughs> um, you have these, you can have these moments where something goes wrong or you thought you had, you have something there and you've moved it to the other side of the dressing room. Uh, so it's just staying calm, being focused really in those moments uh, and not, lose, not losing your head. So... Uh, we had an occasion a couple of years ago, Gillingham travelled up, their physios come into the dressing room mid-morning saying, seeing if you could help me out. I said, yeah, no problem. What do you need to print a shirt? He said, we forgot our shirts. Sorry? He said, yeah, our, our kit man's forgot his shirts. So I said, uh, he says, have you got a reserve kit or something we can borrow? And I'm thinking, I've only been at MK a couple of uh a couple of months and I knew they didn't have the way they operated at the time there wasn't a reserve kit in stock so I've gone down to our storeroom uh, to see what there was that they could have borrowed and all there was was the under eight there at the MK Don's under 18 shirts which were pretty much medium uh, shirts and they had obviously a couple of big lads at the time so they said we, we knew we couldn't use that and I said well the only other uh, kit I've got I've got in my car I've got my Radstock under-18s kit. They said, is it numbered? Yeah. It was red shirts, and they had, luckily they had the shorts and socks at the time. So I've gone out to the car and brought in the miners' uh, under-18s kit, which luckily was clean in my car, uh, and they took that into their dressing room ready in, uh, in case. And at one point, they were going to be wearing them. Then in the meantime, I realised they said they had their warm-up T-shirts. So I said, you've got a T-shirt with your club sponsor on your crest. Why don't you just number those up? So in the short term, they started then printing numbers, the squad players' squad numbers on the back of the warm-up T-shirts uh, before the game. And then I think 10 minutes before kickoff, uh, the players were warming up in what they were going to have to wear for the game. Luckily, somebody had managed to get from Gillingham 
with a set of shirts for them to wear. But it was for a time they were going to have to be wearing the Rustock Town under 18 kit in a football league game, which would have been great publicity for for the club. Dear me, that's an incredible tale. Um, I'm, I think we probably need to bring it back to the um, to the Western League, and of course, because you are the um, the secretary at, at Radstock Town, but you're also the um, under 18s manager, and you have been for some time. And you know, the previous times we've spoken um, for, for for radio at the time, it would have been was um, was in that was in that job. And um, I mean, you know, what, what's it been like, Ian, r- running the, the the Radstock under 18s this season? Because I mean, you know, these are strange times, and I think we're all sort of getting used to it in terms of football. And I mean, you know to a certain extent, Western League football, but how was it to manage the restrictions for your under-18s? We were, partly through some of the communications I get through work as well, We, uh, when we came back out of the initial lockdown in June and started making preparations, we were able to put some good guidelines in for the club to operate uh, in terms of training in small groups of five and six uh, when those initial lockdown. So I think we were one of the first clubs to come back training uh, we started a couple of weeks with some of our own protocols in place with the under-18s uh, and just tested the water, seeing how they went, uh, training at Southfields. Then we introduced, again, the same guidance with the coaches uh, towards the first team. We try and train as one club because we want that pathway for the first team, the under-18s and the reserves. Uh, and so everyone gets that opportunity so we're not operating as three clubs as well the manager at the first team level with Ryan now being in charge uh, with Nathan and Brett previously it's bodies in training but also the quality as well that players know there's somebody wanting that pathway to come form so we started and we had a long pre-season not knowing exactly when the see the league seasons were going to start uh we so I think it ended up being close to a 12-week pre-season, which is far longer than what we'd normally go for, uh, using one of the fields near Rhythmington School that the school lets us have. We schedule a lot of games pre-season, uh, getting bodies back in and getting players ready for match action and match preparation, really, uh, with our game plans. So it was a case of making sure we adhered to all the national restrictions, firstly, making sure players were safe, and the guidance was followed. Uh, the football ran pretty smoothly, really, in our preparations as well for going for that. Uh, then for when the games did restart, we had we had the protocols at Southfield. A lot of work had taken place on work on the change rooms around the ground and in the clubhouse uh, over the, the period of the lockdown. There'd be working parties, uh, getting everything up to speed. So we were very, very lucky there. Uh, to be ready to go on day one of the season. Obviously, the Western League has started, the County League started, and the the under-18 Floodlit League, we changed just over a year ago, or nearly two years ago now, to the Wiltshire Senior League, which is a very well-run league. It's good footballing people making those decisions as well and focus on getting players on the pitch rather than sometimes the politics, which you do get some uh, league structures and organisations. It's new faces as well in different oppositions. We find, obviously, being being to the western side of Wiltshire, the travel is slightly easier as well, that you're not having to travel down the M5 corridor for games for, to be there for 6pm as well. So for in terms of that, uh, it's far easier on players, parents as well for that commute. Uh, we found, obviously, playing, you, you are going into the unknown. 
uh, where sometimes you're playing against the same teams in Somerset. The players grow up alongside playing the same faces and they go into games uh, knowing what to expect, which is sometimes actually players have that premeditated idea. However, you set up a game plan, it can it's a mental thing there as well. So going into the Wiltshire League and playing teams that you're not familiar with is it's more similar to the Western League example because you don't know what you're, you're playing teams from further afield. You don't necessarily know what you're coming up against. So you can focus on your own preparation, yet you'll give respect to the opposition throughout the game, but you can stick to your own game plan and how you want to develop your team. Because I know that the progression that you talk about from the under 18s through to the first team has been, you know, it's a very, a very important um, um, element of, 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 you know, the philosophy at Radstock Town. But I mean, it's one that's borne real fruit for you, isn't it? Because I mean, I know you had a very successful under 18 side. Certainly when I was covering you for Summer Valley FM, we, we you know, we had those glorious FA Cup nights. Um, but a lot of those players who, who've played so outstandingly well in that tournament have gone on to play with distinction for Radstock Town. That's a proud thing, uh, what we've got at the moment. And it's it's a focus of the clubs to have that pathway uh, of players progressing through. We were lucky that group of players, we had six or seven that have become established in the Western League and even higher as well. And one of the focuses, we have to be looking with the under-18s, not for the immediate uh, group as well. We have to keep that pathway of players. So introducing uh, five or six new younger ones, under 16s into the group at the bottom end each season in terms of the age, because you're going to have that uh, complete momentum of players. Because one of the biggest things, if, if you focus on a group of single age players for one year, you have to then completely rebuild. If you can have that momentum of players moving out of the top end into the first team reserves and players being moulded in, we'll try and encourage even under-15s to come and train with us uh, so they're not rabbits in the headlight. So they're getting used to what we're about in terms of the training uh, and the development as well. So we want to keep that momentum going and that pathway. But one of the biggest things is because we've we've had that pathway of people like Skippy, Morgan Skip, Rico Sobers, Jack Scrivens, Callum Taylor, to name a few, even Mason Harrison more recently, uh, it's a proven track record and progression that we can offer to players. So where teams will be operating, and I think younger players do want senior football quicker than... Uh, so again, we have to work with the management there to find the right times to blood them into the first team. Some players will are ready when they, as soon as they turn 16 to go straight in. Some, use Morgan Skip, for an example, had a season season and a half with the reserves before he really became established uh, with the first team. I think then, I think before he was 21, then he had played uh, 100 games for the first team. So it's finding the right stepping stones for the players. But I think it, it, for recruitment to show where we are battling in such a tight area with the likes of Welton, Oddown, Poulton, even Bishop Sutton and Froome on our doorstep and Wells, it is a tight area with a lot of clubs fighting for the same players where you can go further afield somewhere like Clevedon or Porter's Head. There isn't that competition for those players. So we have, we have to offer something different at Southfield. So the welcoming environment, it's not just about the players. We want to get the, the parents and the families 
supporting them and the club as well. But I think that's one of the biggest things. We don't want necessarily players coming at 20, 30 miles in, unless they're exceptional into the group at any level of the club. I think if we have local players, it adds on the gate. Uh, friends, family want to come and support the club. And the supporters will always support, provide that support to someone that's genuinely local and have that connection to the club. Excellent stuff, Ian. Thank you ever so much for taking the time um, to speak to us. Uh, a thousand games, of course, is, uh, a, a, is an incredible achievement. And um, just before we go, um, can you just remind us, um, you, you, you know, you've been raising money um, for um, um, Bath, the Bath Mind charity. Can, can you just give um, listeners a, a last um, uh, idea of where they, can, where they can find your Just Giving page? So uh, I've got a Just Giving page, which is set up as Ian Lanning 2 at justgiving.com uh you can visit uh the link is on the rassock town uh first team at, or the club uh twitter and our instagram page as well and also on my own personal twitter account ijl 79 and my thanks to ian for his time now we've heard from ian and scott today jim it's quite obvious that kit men are a special breed um through your time at Bristol City and at Yeovil Town. Have, uh, have you got any kit men stories for us? Maybe, as Scott mentioned in his one, mainly forgetting stuff. Um, but also, when I was at Yeovil, Dan, the kit man there, I think most Yeovil fans would know him quite well. Um, I think it was before the playoff final uh, at a hotel. He'd done something silly and he was always getting stick. Uh, a couple of the lads threw him in the lake. <laughs> yeah, it was um, Dan, the, uh, I mean, Poor sod down there, he used to get it all. Um, if something went wrong, it would be Dan's fault, even though it wasn't. Um, but like you say, they're, they're a different breed, but they all work so hard as well. Because if a player needs something, they always go to the kit man, and he sorts it out for them. Um, yeah, I mean, well, a famous goalkeeper joined Bristol City. Uh, at his previous clubs, the kit men used to pack shin pads, boots, goalie gloves. He joined Bristol City, and the kit man at the time then refused to. He said the players should be responsible for all their gear. Uh, well, the goalkeeper wasn't uh, wasn't used to that. So we would travel to away games and we would get phone calls from him, from him saying, you couldn't just nip into the sports shop, pick me up a size, pair of size 10s, Adidas, World Cup boots, could you? Because I've left mine at the, at the ground. So he's forever forgetting his gloves, which you think he would pack because he kind of needs them, his shin pads and his boots. So I dread to think how much we spent going to pick up gear for him but yeah kit man do work hard that's an interesting one actually that that could be an avenue for us to take on um on a on another uh, edition of the podcast jim because um you would have thought that goalkeeper gloves are a little bit like sort of a golfer's you know a nine iron or a snooker player's cue you know or a concert pianist's sort of you know grand piano you know you would have thought that they're very particular about about the kit and the items that they wear superstitious bunch so the idea that um these things get left all over the place that's um uh that that well yeah that that's an interesting one yeah you'd think it's like a plumber going going out without his tools really yeah <laughs> without his favorite wrench something. Yeah, yeah, without his favourite wrench or a carpenter without his saw. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, James, thank you very much indeed for your time on uh, on this week's podcast. And uh, I look forward to catching up with you and the listeners on next week's Tool Station Western League podcast.